Well, good morning, First Baptist Church of Fairburn, or, or something that I'm honored to say, good morning, family. It is good to be back home. It is good to be in a familiar city. It is good to be in a familiar state. But most importantly, it's good to be where my roots are. On the way to Fairburn yesterday, Tony, my fiance, and I, we traveled uh, through Mississippi, we traveled through Alabama, and we reached uh, Georgia. And I couldn't help but think of how great it is to be able to freely travel from Louisiana to Georgia freely without any uh, consequence, without any um, issues. And, and I just want to just take a moment to just thank God that I have a chance to be born in this country, to be born in the United States of America. And I just want to take a moment not to, to grandstand my patriotist uh, view for this time, but I just want to thank each one of you that have served in our military. I thank you for your service, and I thank God for those men and women that fight for our freedoms today that are across the seas and here at home as well. But we're not here to, to continue in that regard. We are here to bring, uh, I'm here to bring the word of the Lord. Um, you will find yourselves in the book of Philippians chapter 3. We will be covering verses 7 through 11 to give you a little background of the book of Philippians. It's really a letter as part of the Pauline epistles. Uh, of all the epistles that Paul wrote while he was in prison mostly, the book of uh, the letter to, the, uh, to uh, the Philippians is a personal letter. It's something that him and that church had deeply in common. You see, in his ministry, in his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, and third missionary journey, the Philippians were one of, if not only, supporters of that ministry. He had other support, but the, Phili the I, I want to say the Philippines, it's not the Philippines, it's the Philippians. They were his uh, constant support. We see in chapter 1, we see in the, in the beginning, we see how he's, he presents himself. He presents himself as an apostle of Christ. We see in, in uh, the latter part of that chapter, we see where he offers his thanksgiving, he offers his prayer. And part of the chapter 1, he, he went through this, this crisis of belief, if you will. He's in chains, he's bound up, and he says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. But for your sake, I consider all the more proper to, to, to stay and fight. He is encouraging this church because they're living in a time some, somewhat like today we, that they live among a culture that is multi-religious, this multi, um, the philosophy of, of that town, the philosophy of that city was wild, it's crazy, it's I can go into much deeper history of Philippians and its region, but long story short, Paul was wanting to address 
this emphasis throughout the whole letter, the emphasis of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ intently. And let, it, let me put it this way. Knowing Christ personally. It is easy for us to know Jesus of the Bible. But my, my friends, my family members here today, at the end of this time that we have together, I hope and pray that you know Jesus Christ personally. Teachers, Sunday school teachers this morning, if you teach elsewhere at the United Healthcare, whatever, wherever you teach, may it be our aim and our ambition to teach Christ to people as a man that came to this earth, yes, fully man, fully God, but let us also remember that we have the opportunity to embrace him in a relationship. It's, he's more than a religious figure. He's more than, more than just something that we read in an in a ancient book. Yes, it's 2,000 years ago we talk about, but ladies and gentlemen, even today, Jesus wants to be your personal friend. Also, he wants to be there to, to help you through these trying times. Let us get to the text. If you're willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law but one that is through faith in Christ the righteousness from God based on faith. Verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, may you help us understand these words this morning. And Lord, that may I decrease and you increase in this hour. And we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you find your seats, may I offer a bit of um, introduction to this text, we will see that if, if we look at it in, in the original context, if we, if we will, if I seem too, too educated, I'm sorry, I'm just coming out of the classroom, if you will, and um, so if I have a little seminary words, I'll, I'll look at Tony and she'll give me that look like, all right, come on, we're not in the classroom, but... Um, but I will say that, that um, the text of this morning, we see that this central idea, the central idea was that God was urging the, the Philippians to grow by knowing Christ deeper, by knowing Christ more intimately, personally. And so may I offer the proposition this morning that God also urges us to know Christ more personally, intimately, and personally. 
So folks, by the end of this gathering we have, may that we understand that all of us, that we would continue and that we would begin to understand the importance and growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. As we start, let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 um, introduces the first phrase of, of the process of knowing Christ, and that is that knowing Christ by rejecting confidence in the flesh. As I read verse 7, But everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. May I point out some interesting um, words in, this, in these two verses. We see that Paul writes, everything that was a gain. What was the gain? What, what is he referring to? As you see in that, in that first letter, it has um, the word but. The but is referring to something that was previously said prior in this chapter. And so let me read verse 4 through 6. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, that's the Old Testament, the Torah, blameless. So we see that Paul is upholding these attributes or these um, birthrights, these um, religious uh, beliefs, affiliations, whatever you may have that you would throw in there. He is considering all of those things and he's looking at what used to be a gain for him is loss. Well, why? Why are they considered loss? Why is one once was gain now loss? May I dive in a little bit more into this text and maybe we can take away that we, under, that we would understand that there's nothing that we can do to please God. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. I'm an American. Yes, I'm born in this country, but ladies and gentlemen, being American is not going to please God. Sorry. It's not. Um, let's, say if I, let's say if I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews, let's say if I was regarding the law of Pharisee, let's say if I, I, I was part of the, the elite denomination, Sorry, that doesn't matter. Let's say if I, let's say if I had this, this zeal, this, this ambition in life, whatever ambition it was, that doesn't matter. This is going to hit the gut. What if I obeyed every commandment in God's word? Well, someone we see in Matthew Chapter 19, we see where, he, where the, the young rich guy, he says, well, I've, I've obeyed all the commandments. But as we read in that, as if you're familiar with that account, it's the story where Jesus is speaking to the rich young man. And he says, well, if you want to be with me, go sell all your possessions. 
Go sell everything you have. Let everything that you have be lost. Then come follow me. And as we see in that account that the young rich man left discouraged because he was unwilling to forget all. He was unwilling to go sell his possessions and give it to the, give the proceeds to the poor. So saying this is that even regarding righteousness that is in the law, Paul thought he was greatly obedient to the law. And even that, he considers to be lost because of Christ. More than that, he also considers everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord. What does this um, mean? What does the in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ mean? Well, let's break it down a little bit. When we see the word, the, the surpassing value, it is referring to something of an incomparable worth. When we read knowing, it means to know Christ by personal involvement. And then just to single out the word surpassing, this surpassing is knowledge of Christ that Paul describes here is far more than intellectual knowledge of the facts about Christ. We see here even more in the New Testament that there's frequently that Christians that know Christ, it, it describes Christians that, that those who know Christ. We see in John 10 verse 14 that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. In John 17 verse 3, Jesus defined eternal life as knowing him. This is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may gave, give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In John's first epistle, he declared that as we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. That was 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. So we see here that, that the first phase of know, the process of knowing Christ is that we are to reject the confidence in the flesh. This leads us to the second phase of, knowing, of the process of knowing Christ, and that is that we are to that we know Christ by being justified. So let me, let me pause. At this point, I bring the invitation. I don't think much preachers today have ever really expressed this relationship with Christ. 
This text does. This text is the heart. One commentator said that verses 7 through 11 was the essence the Pauline theology, meaning the study of God, you know, the study of Christ. So from here on, I, I'm, I'm going to address the Christians in the room. If you're a Christian, this is a reminder, this is a refresher. But if you're an unbeliever today, I want you to please, please, before you make judgment claims, I want you to pay attention closely. And may, not that I put this, this on trial for you, let me not try to, to persuade you because there's nothing I could persuade to make Christ real. Christ is real. He is the absolute Christ. He is God. He is God that came to this earth. He is Almighty God. That is absolute truth. So I will not get on my knees and try to beg you to get to know him. I'm here today to bring the word because the word will stand for itself. It is God-inspired. God, it's the infallible and inherent word of God. I'm just here to be a mouthpiece for his word. So this is going to be a little refresher. So we're going to go down memory lane this morning. Can we go down memory lane? All right, I want you to remember of that time that you, maybe not at First Baptist, Fairburn, but you came down front. There was a sermon that you might have heard that really got to you. You realize that, you know what, I'm lost in this world. Lost is meaning that you are not saved. You're not saved from your sins. What is sin? Sin is wrongdoing. Well, what is wrongdoing? Well, there's these three questions that uh, uh, I learned in evangelism classes. Do you lie? Yeah. Well, that's a sin. Have you ever stolen something? Yeah. Well, that's still and that's a sin. Um, and there's other, other examples of questions. But so essentially, we see that the first phrase, the, well, the first phrase was rejecting Christ. The second phrase is being justified. What is justified? Justified is, is the past tense word of, of, the, of the word justification. Now, I will say that I have many theological books in my study, and I chose to, to pick up my, one of my favorites, uh, Wayne Grudem, and for uh, just... To quote him, for the rest of these definitions that I would provide, it would be coming from his systematic theology. He writes that justification is instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And he declares us to be righteous in his sight. So, that's some systematic theology jargon. Let me go to the text. Let's see what the text is saying. In verse 9, we see this phrase, a righteousness of my own derived from the law. This righteousness is referring to self-righteousness, one of self-effort, external morality, religious ritual, and moral works, all produced by the flesh. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can do to please God. There's absolutely nothing. I'm going to tell you something. You can have been inside this church building every day of your life. Every time the church doors are open and you sit in the pew. You, oh my soul, you can, you can go on every mission trip that you can think of. Ladies and gentlemen, oh my soul, let me tell you something. 
this once a week meeting. It's, it's not, I, let, me, let me rephrase. In order to know that you know that you know Christ. I can't help but think of what Jesus said. He, taught, he brought up two trees. A bad tree, a good tree. A bad tree produces bad fruit. Rotten fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. So it yields. So, so what, what is this? This is the condition. This is where you are. Justification, being justified, is that you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, blood of Christ. When you came down to this step, I meant to get this earlier. I, uh, I remember filling out one of these. You see, that this is a membership card. This membership card is something we filled out. I filled out my name, address. We updated the card. It's, it even allows you to put your email on it. That's so that we could send you spam later on. But, folks, I'm going to tell you, listen up. A check on a card is not being justified. From that moment, we're going down memory lane. From that moment that you step foot right here, to right now, where do you stand? Have you grown? Have you grown in Christ? This leads us to the next phase. It leads us to knowing Christ by being sanctified. We're going to camp out a little bit here. Discipleship comes to mind. Do you spend time in the Word? You know, as I was marinating on this text for two weeks, mainly a lot this past week, y'all, I'm going to tell you, man, I was being convicted. Because I realized, you know what, I, I'm good about going to church, I'm good about being involved, I'm good about, y'all, I'm, I'm good about just sharing my faith with people. Y'all, when you work for for a company like I work for, y'all see a lot of different people, a lot of walks of life. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. Being a part of a Bible study, let me, let me tell you, it is important. It is important being involved in a Bible study. It's important to go to Bible study, Sunday school, whatever the words we want to use in these days and times. It's all the same to me. You can come to church, you can be here at this time, in this service. But folks, I'm going to tell you, some of the greatest times that I cherish is when I'm alone in my room and it's just God and me. It's, it's him and I. Y'all, I'm going to tell you, there's times that I pray and I'm literally sobbing tears because I realize that I have been selfish, I have been sinful, I have been self-righteous, I have been thinking I have to do things on my own. And, and folks, that creeps in. Even, even when you're saved, that creeps in because you have this, this flesh thing, this, this, it's just the nature of who we are that we, we sometimes feel, well, I'm not good enough. I need to get better. And folks, may, may, I, 
submit to you that when we came to know Christ, it wasn't by sight, it was by faith. And this faith, let me tell you what this faith is. This faith is the confidence, the continuous confession of total dependence on and trust in Jesus Christ for the necessary requirements to enter God's kingdom. Faith involves more than intellectual knowledge of the gospel. Saving faith includes trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender to his lordship. So we see that it's not about our self-righteousness, but it's about God's righteousness. That God's righteousness is right standing with God and acceptance by him. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his second, second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul declared that God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of, of God. And so that, that is, in a nutshell, justification. And now we're, we're at sanctification, and, and I jumped the gun, and I apologize. Let me give the, um, the working definition of sanctification. It is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives. Let us go to the text. Chapter, um, chapter 3, verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power, power of his right, uh, resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. In the text we see this, that Paul's goal was to know him. Mind you, Paul is locked up. He's in chains. He's in prison. The very thing that got him in chains, he is still promoting. Folks, all he had to do is just renounce. All he had to do is just be quiet. That's the only thing he had to do. Stop talking about Christ. Stop advancing the gospel. That's the only thing he had to do. Guess what? He would have been freed. Only thing he had to do is not... Not make people uncomfortable. He made people uncomfortable. Folks, I'm going to tell you something right now. The gospel will make you uncomfortable. It will make them uncomfortable. And therefore, if it makes them uncomfortable, I'm going to go ahead and let you know the issue is not to stop evangelizing. Oh my soul, we have spent thousands of dollars at Southern Baptists sending people to the front line through International Mission Board, through NAM, the New North American Mission Board. We have spent not thousands, millions of dollars. Ladies and gentlemen, as much as we send the money to them for the Annie Armstrong offering and the Louis Armstrong offering, maybe I messed up somebody's last name. I'm sorry for whomever it was. Folks, it is our God-given commission. And how do we do that? It's by being sanctified. Ladies and gentlemen, I understand if you are a babe in Christ, this shame on us for not 
helping you. We're not teaching you. If it's a discipleship issue, and maybe it is, it's not an evangelism issue because, ladies and gentlemen, we know how to talk to strangers. Ladies and gentlemen, when this city was on its way to the Super Bowl, all we could do and think about is think about the Atlanta Falcons. You had Falcons everywhere. It's not just in Atlanta, Georgia. It's in New Orleans, Louisiana. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you, when that bad call made, the whole city was in an uproar. We know how to speak to strangers. It's not strangers that's the issue. We're not shy. Ladies and gentlemen, have you lost that feeling of when you came to know Christ? Are you justified? Because if you were truly justified and you truly felt that burden of your sin and you knew that Christ took that, he took that sin, he paid for it, the blood that drips, that dripped from that cross, covered your sin, covered my sin. He came in our hearts. And if he is in your heart, there should be, not that it may be, it should be a sanctifying work. You should be sanctified. What is this sanctified? Ladies and gentlemen, sanctif- being sanctified is not checking off a box. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm so appreciative. A former pastor here at First Baptist Church of Fairman promoted this campaign to read the Bible throughout the year. Ladies and gentlemen, I understand. I love that. I love checking off each day. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here today to tell you sometimes we're so focused on the quantity that we read and we fo- forget to focus on the quality. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time that we eat the words of Christ. Eat it. And if it takes you a minute to chew on that fat, then chew on it. I know the book of Leviticus is hard to read, but ladies and gentlemen, even the book of Leviticus has some gold. Some gold we got to go and dig for. The whole counsel of God's word. Not bits and pieces. The whole counsel. So part of sanctifying is getting to know him. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, if the only time you open up God's word is on Sunday morning at Sunday school, or other functions, then I'm telling you, you're missing out. You're missing out on a relationship that you can have. And I pray that we're not embracing a religion. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, religion will get you nowhere. This relationship with Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, the relationship with Christ, I'm going to tell you, there's times when I'm able to embrace someone of another country Because I know that they know Christ. We have this bond. We have a global bond. But folks, I'm going to tell you, there's some Americans in this nation. Oh, my soul. They're so lost, they don't don't know Jesus. I try to talk to them. Folks, we have a holy nation, a holy priesthood, a priesthood of all believers. And folks, when when you come to this moment and you gave Christ, and you accepted Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you were justified and instantaneously we part start this process of being sanctified. There's three things in, in this text. There's three things in this chat in this in this verse that I really want to just bring and, and expose and, and to dig some more. The power of his resurrection. Paul had been given the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you, did you know that? The very power that rose Jesus from the dead is the very power that lives in you today. Isn't that something? So, 
what can we do with this? And we also know that, that the resurrection of Christ is, is the greatest display of Christ's power. His raising from the dead revealed his absolute power over both the physical and the spiritual realm. More personally, Paul experienced Christ's resurrection in two ways. First, it was the power that saved him, a, true, a truth he affirmed in Romans 6, verses 4 and 5, where he writes, where, where we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The second way was, it is Christ's resurrection power that sanctified him and all believers to defeat temptation and trials, lead a holy life, and boldly and fruitfully proclaim the gospel. Now, the latter part of verse 10. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Folks, I'm going to tell you, this is where it just, oh man, even steel toe boots couldn't keep my toes from being crushed. Sometimes we tend to embrace the blessings of an empty tomb. Oh man. Y'all, we, we, we make much of Easter Sunday. We make much of Easter Sunday. But ladies and gentlemen, we also have to bury our cross. We also have times of Good Fridays, of sufferings. When we are in Christ, when we are in a relationship with Christ, ladies and gentlemen, by nature, it's not you, it's Him. The reason why you suffer some things, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm, I'm just be honest with you. Maybe this might be anti-Southern Baptist and anti. American Christian statement, but I, I'm going to just be honest with you. There's no man-made declaration of religious freedom that can save you from suffering. It's going to happen. You're going to suffer. We already suffer. We suffer in the homes. We have family members that totally just throw away our Bibles. They, they do not read the words of scriptures like we do. We have co-workers. We have managers. We have Subordinates, superiors, whoever may be across this nation in our own communities that just throw away the word. They, they're like, it's offensive, it's whatever. But ladies and gentlemen, if you embrace Christ, you're going to, you're going to it's, it's be exposed to suffering. And, and part of this fellowship of suffering and part of this being conformed to his death is that when we see those sins, not that we approach it in a legalistic way. But when we see people sin, we are feeling that pressure on that cross. We agonize over the sin. Do we agonize over sin? Not, not that do we, do we want to make things legalistic. That we want to make things according to tradition. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is do we mourn over those that are lost? Do we mourn? Or secondly, do, do, do we get upset when we see people that misunderstand God? 
Do we feel something when we, when we hear someone, a friend, a family member, whoever it may be the case, where, they, where they're speaking about God, but it's in a way that they have misunderstood him? Or, or, or is it that, that they may have been misinformed of who God is? And that's on both sides of interpretation. And so here, here's the deal. The process of knowing Christ. First, we, we, we have to know Christ by not, by rejecting confidence in the flesh. We have to know Christ by being justified. I might, I might have, the third point, I might have needed to change it, is that knowing Christ by continually being sanctified. And then the fourth one is knowing Christ by anticipating the resurrection. Folks, this is our hope. This is the desire. This is the end. This is when, you know, some are, I won't go into Revelation. But if we do all understand, we all agree that there will be a day where Christ will call his children home. That's called, that's the part of glorification. It's where we will be in holy presence. We, we, we'll have functions and features of our bodies that we never knew we had. And we've not had that. We, would not, we don't even know how to understand it because we, we're not there. We're not, we don't have that glorified body. Imagine living in a sinless state. Folks, I look around and I see a bunch of family members. I, I see you. You know, there's times I feel bad that I don't keep in touch like I should, but you're always on my heart. I love you to death. There's moments that I take and I pray for each Sunday school throughout the years. I just, uh, I pray, I pray for Fairman all the time. And may I encourage you today, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you might have, you might have checked the box, you might have. But folks, if you don't feel, if there's no growth, if, if there's no fruit, I'm just going to be honest with you. We have the evidence of, of being in Christ. Are you growing? Or are you the same as you was that day that you came and you stood before the church, a church, and whomever? Have you grown? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you, yeah, I'm so behind symbolism. I love the baptism of Paul. I love it every time it ripples, the water ripples. But ladies and gentlemen, even that, being baptized, being dunked, being immersed, is not the saving. It's, it's a regenerated heart. It's a changed heart. In the book in, uh, in Ezekiel, we see where it says that, that God took out the heart of stone and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. Do you have a heart that beats at the drum beat of God? Or is your heart still beating to your self-righteousness? 
If we had an altar right here, there's no animal, there's no limb, branch, whatever you may be. It may, it's no doves, it's no whatever socioeconomic class you're in. There's nothing equivalent to, to where you stand. There's nothing you can bring to an altar to please God. It's only by faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. I know that is a hard statement to say in a pluralistic society. But friends, if you, if you truly love your neighbor, if you truly love your coworker, if you truly love a family member, your family member, say the hard words. If you haven't experienced that, I ask, I beg you, I, if I can beg on my knees that you will come to know Christ personally. And not just know Christ of the Bible. The Christ of the Bible wants to be the Christ in your heart. Second, if you're in Christ and you found your, that, that you have just been, you, 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 you've been living it up. You took your, your allowance, you took, took what, what the Father gave you, and just, you, you just lived it up. You were just, you'd live in sin, Vegas style, baby. There's hope for you. You come back. You come back to the Father this morning. And for those that are watching online, there's hope for you too. Come back to the Father. If you're here in Fairburn, come to this church. If you're anywhere else, find a church that is Bible-based. Get plugged in. And thirdly, uh, I don't think many churches do it this day, but if you've been, there's something in your soul that just felt like, you know what, I'm a Christian. I feel like I've been called to do something more. If you feel like you're called to full-time ministry, bivocational ministry, or sometime performing ministry, Make that stand today too. Folks, we need people on the field. There, there's need for missionaries. There's need for preachers. There's need for all types. If you find yourself that you have been led by God to go into ministry, then you do it. As I pray, Pastor Lewis and the uh, rest of whomever's coming up, to lead us in song. I'm going to pray and then we're going to do some, some business with the Father. I just encourage you this morning, may we as a church utilize this altar this morning. There's someone in our hearts that needs to know Christ. I pray that I'd ask that you come and you pray. You pray for that soul. You pray for that person. Because I'm going to tell you something. It is, I know that as Southern Baptists, we have this, everyone has that one. I understand, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's our Southern Baptist thing right now. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, we must be about the Father's business. Many years ago, on a Wednesday night, I told a bunch of people in that room over there, I was subbing for Pastor Justin Terrell at the time. And I told that group, I said, your job is not done till Father calls you home. 
And that goes for us today. We have the torch now. We have it. There are those that have encouraged me. And they're there. Let us not dwell in the memories. Let's go out there and invite people to Christ.